hope when you guys sing, you, you, you really think about the words. I don't, man, my, I love that last song. That last song is just, if you didn't listen to them, if you didn't hear it well, just go back and listen to them again. It is, that is such a good song. Such a good song. Sorry. Thank you, ladies, for leading out. You did an excellent job. But, okay. First John will be, uh, and I'll go ahead and read verses 7 through 11 of 1 John. I'm sorry, chapter 2, not chapter 1. Verses 7 through 11 of chapter 2. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let's pray. God, thank you that as we just sang about, that we are children of the light, that we who call upon your name, Lord Jesus, to be saved, not by works done in the flesh, not by anything in us, but by your blood poured out for us. Our battle cry is love. So God, may you bind that around our eyes, bind that around our ears. May that be the battle cry that we actually sing. May you guard us, we pray, from hatred of our brother. Help us to walk in your way, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, so, so far in First John, um, we have looked at the person of Jesus. We've looked at the life, sin in the life of the believer. But as we saw last week, we looked last week at how John's starting to kind of turn a corner here. And he's starting to, to proactively look at, okay, we've looked at the negative side of it. Now we're going to look at the life of love. What is the life of love for the believer? And John expressed that the one who abides in God will walk in the same way that which Christ walked, as we saw last week, which is love. But this week, he further clarifies it. And before, before we get into this, I want you just to think for a second. Maybe sketch out in your mind. I like doing this sometimes. Just sketch out in your mind... Someone who you think lacks love. Maybe not a person in particular, but someone who lacks love. Someone who lacks love. So this is what we're sketching out in our mind. Think about it with me. I wonder what you think they would be like. What they look like. Well, what, would they, what would they be wearing? Maybe they'd have a big handlebar mustache and you know, on the train tracks. I don't know. Like, what, do you, what do you think about, honestly? Someone who lacks love. Would there be a certain kind of characteristic to them? Would they dress in a certain fashion? Would they be harsh in their speech? Or maybe they'd just be ignoring. They'd just be kind of passive. What does a person who lacks love do for a living? Do they have a terrifying job? Are they someone with a normal job? What is someone who lacks love? Because here's, here's the thing. This is why I want you to think about this. This is why I want you to sketch it out. Because how we think about someone who lacks love is important because it determines how we recognize a lack of love in our own life. 
See, here's the, and I find this in myself too. Oftentimes we will think about like lack of love. Oh, that's not me. That, that could never be me. I wish, you'll hear a sermon like this. A sermon like this, you'll be like, oh, you know who needs to hear this? My cousin Bill. My cousin Bill needs to hear this sermon. And I want to caution you from looking to all the other people we could think about who lack love in our life. All these other people we sketch out in our brain. And actually start, like we talked about last week, to test. To test ourselves first. So don't, don't first immediately jump and say, well, this, this message would be good for my siblings. This message would be good for my spouse. I should really send this passage along to my wife because she just doesn't get love. She lacks love. That's not, that's not what we're to do. We're to start and look in our own heart because that's what John is doing for us. So look down in verse 7, how, how John starts. And I think it's so encouraging to hear just the heart of a pastor. In, in 1 John 2, 7, he says, Beloved. Listen to how he even addresses them. Beloved. I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. So he's continuing to clarify. And if, you have, if you're taking notes there in front of you, the first bullet point would be the law of love. This first section, and you can put off to the side of it, maybe verses 7 to 8. We're going to be looking at the law of love. And you might be like, oh, that sounds contradictory. How, how could you have a law of love? But the law of love is the commandments which God has given to his people and he demands love. Well, you might be like, well, I didn't think God demanded things like that. I thought he just demanded belief in Jesus. And we'll see what, what, what I mean by that. So, beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, he says, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. And what we're going to see is that John links these two together. And he actually, the, the, your next bullet point should actually be the new old commandment. And that's kind of contradictory. It's meant to be. The commandment for John is not something entirely new for these believers. The word old actually is the same word we get for paleontologist. Or paleo is the, is the root word which is basically old. Very, very extremely old. And he's saying that there's an old commandment. I'm writing you something you've known for a long time. But why, why am I assuming he's talking about love? Well, the first thing. I say that it's a new old commandment and it has to do with the law of love. Why, why am I saying that? Well, if you look back to verse 5, he says very clearly that's what he's talking about. He's talking about love here. But the other thing he's doing here is he's picking up on something that Jesus said. In John 13, and you can actually, you probably should write that down. John 13, verse 34. It's a really important passage. Because Jesus says this to us. Now, let me just pause and give an apologetic for this. I love it when people say, oh, Jesus, he just was a nice guy. He came to tell us to do good things. He wasn't really the son of God. But listen to what Jesus himself from his own mouth in John 13 says. Does this sound like someone who's just, just a nice guy, taught us to do nice things? This is what he says. A new commandment I give to you. So here's the Lord Jesus himself saying, a new commandment I give to you. His disciples in the upper room, this is what he says. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. So when John wrote this commandment, it's not new to these believers. It is the command which has governed them since they have called themselves Christians. But it's much older than that. It's even older than even Jesus in that sense, in him, him giving that command. It's older than that. Listen to what Jesus quotes in Matthew 22. 
Jesus being challenged by a lawyer, which asked, which was the greatest of the commandments? Jesus links together two commandments. Deuteronomy 6, Leviticus 19, and he says this. And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And then he goes on and says, And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Then listen to what he says. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. Literally, Jesus is saying that on these two commandments, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself, the entirety of the Old Testament, every law, everything that's ever been spoken by God can be hung on one of those two. And and John's saying, Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old one. A really, really, really old one. For as long as Israel has ever been even in existence, this commandment has been here. But it's different. It's not not the same thing. Because John then kind of contradicts himself. Because in verse 8 he says, At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you. So this new old commandment. It's an old commandment because we've been told from as long as we've been a community at all. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But he's saying, wait a second. So it is an old commandment, but at the same time, it's new. So what does he mean by new commandment? It's this. So there's several ways we can understand new. We can understand new in a time-oriented sense, like it's newly created, which is not what he's talking about here. It could be a quality of newness, or it could be a new aspect of being different altogether. So what does John have in mind here? I would, I would argue that he has in mind here a new quality of a commandment. He's, he's not bringing you something entirely different. He's not changing the subject. What he's doing, Jesus is upping the ante. He's saying, no, 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 no. The commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He, he's saying it's not an entirely different commandment. Oh, but he has upped it. And we'll see just in a second how he's done that. So if you're taking notes, the new commandment was different to the degree it reached. And we're going to see what that new commandment is. He's saying that he's writing them a new command, which is new in quality. The newness of the command depended on through the extent that it reached, the degree to which it was realized. So he's not writing an entirely new commandment, different entirely. He's not saying that. Listen to what the words of Jesus, though. A new commandment I give to you, that you and I love one another. And then here it is. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So, so in the Old Testament, it's, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Which we, just so we're clear, people that want to say, well, we should just love ourselves. We naturally love ourselves. I don't have to naturally take care of myself. You want to know why? Because I naturally do that. But the Old Testament, he's saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, that's, that's the basis of the command. But then he says, just as I have loved you. Jesus didn't love himself as he loved... Jesus didn't love us as he loved himself. He loved us in spite of himself. He literally said, I'm giving myself up for you. Just as I have loved you. We're saying that the Son of God came and died for sinners. People who spat in his face, and he's looking at us now and saying, just as I have loved you, you go and love them. He's upping the ante. He's raising the stakes. He's raising the standard of love. 
The law of love is simply this, that you must love your brother and sister as Christ has loved you. And if that statement does not make you be like, like there should be like a weight almost that comes upon you. The Son of God died for us. He gave himself fully. So if you don't realize what that means, that that statement, you must love your brother or sister as Christ has loved you. And let's be clear too. We oftentimes don't like this in Christian circles, but it's a law. It's not a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. It is a command to be obeyed. But John doesn't end there. He doesn't just leave us with this weight of this new... He's not just giving us a new Old Testament. He's not saying, well, here's just a new law for you. This is what he says. He goes on. He says in, in 1 John 2, 8, he goes on and says, At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, a new in quality, a new in degree commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him, that's true in Jesus, and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is shining already. The newness of the command is the degree to which our love is to extend. And John extends this to say that it was true in Christ, meaning it it was true in himself, in his self-sacrificial love. It was true in him because he's the one who came and died on behalf of sinners. For God so loved the world that he gave his, his only son. And we would be, I could sit and give a thousand references to this. But then he says, it's also true in you. Notice that in this new covenant, we're going to see this new commandment that's been given, that it's true in him because he is the embodiment of love. But it's also true in us because the spirit is dwelling in us. Which is why Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine before others. So you must love your brother as Christ has loved you. If you want any share with Christ, you must see that you have been buried with him, that you've been raised with him, and ultimately now we will see the love of God displayed in him and in us. So this new commandment to love one another as Jesus has loved us has come to this new community. This community that John has been addressing, he's been comforting, he's been warning them. But he doesn't doesn't stop there. So it's true in him, in verse 8, and it's true in you. But he goes on and he says, Because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. So if you're taking notes, that next bullet point is the new commandment and the new covenant. And today might feel a little, we're going to talk about, it's going to maybe feel more academic. and I don't want it to feel that way, but... We're to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and our heart, soul, and mind. So if it feels a little academic, just know that it. I realize that it is that way. So if it feels a little bit like that, that's okay. The new commandment and the new covenant. We are to love one another as Christ has loved us. This is one of the main distinctions of the old covenant or the new covenant. The old covenant, which was given on Mount Sinai to Moses, is described as a veil covering our face. Paul describes the Old Covenant as a guardian and as a manager to keep us into the dawning of this New Covenant. The darkness that John is describing in in verse 2-8 is first the darkness of sin that they lived in, and it's second the darkness of the Old Covenant. And is it a darkness that comes from old age 
the old age, the age of the curse that has come from our first father, Adam. But as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What that means is that the new covenant has come in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That the new covenant that has replaced, has brought new, the new reality in Jesus Christ. The new creation has come in him. So he not only put, a death, put to death sin, but he also brought new life in himself. And what this means for us is that you must love your brother as Christ has loved you. And as we behold who God is and what he is like in the face of Jesus Christ, our hearts continue to grow in grace and love. This is not a mustering up on our own. It is light that is produced from experiencing the loving kindness of our Savior. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. But before we go further, I really need to stop and pause. And we're going to be experiencing the word, we run into the word love a lot in this book. So I'm going to try to do a lot of work on the front end to really belabor this point of love. So we're going to look at four different kinds of love. And you might be like, what, why are we defining the word love? This is really obnoxious. Like, we all know what love is. But I would argue that in a day and age that is so confused about love, we need to ask this question. So if you were just to ask somebody on the street, are you a loving person? You know what? Would anybody say, no, I'm not a loving person? No. They're going to say, of course I'm a loving person. But in our postmodern, post-truth, post-reality day and age, love is so abstract. It's a feeling. It's an emotion. All we need is love. Did you notice the notes? <laughs> love is all you need. That's the, the today was titled The Beatles. All you need is that we can all start singing it even. We all think we understand love, but we really don't. So what is love? So the Greeks had four kinds of love. They had, they had four kinds of love, and they thought actually more concretely about love than we do. So the Greeks weren't any more holy or special, but they were more helpful in that they had, more con- they had four words for the word we actually translate as love. Let me give it to you. Here's the first one. So the first one is romantic love. It's eros. Okay, that's the... I don't like giving Greek words, but you'll see it. It's just eros. It's E-R-O-S. It's the same word we get. It's the, it's the romantic love between spouses or lovers. It's the feeling of arousal that is shared between people who are physically attracted to one another. So when you ask somebody on the street, are you a loving person? They would probably be like, yep. But what they're talking about a lot of times is this kind of love. Okay? It's not the kind of love that John's talking about here in First John. So he's very clearly, he's not using this word, okay? So you might be like, well, you just gave us a point that we're not using even in the Bible. Yep, you're right. But just to clarify, this romantic love is not even used in the scriptures. One time. It's not used one time in the scriptures. We're not commanded to have a feeling, okay? This is a feeling. It's a, between spouses or lovers. Here it goes to the next one. The second kind of love is, sto- I'm going to say it wrong, storage love. Okay, it looks like storage, but it's not storage. It's storage. Okay, you don't have to spell it right. If you spell it storage, that's fine. This is the empathy bond. Okay, this this word is used a handful of times in the Bible, and it refers to the natural affection 
between family. So the feeling that you get towards your child when you see them, when they do something cute, and you're like, oh, little, little Simmy is so cute. It's that natural affection. You don't have to try to love your children. You just naturally love them. So it's the empathy bond. That's the second one. That's not what John's talking about here, though. He doesn't use this word. This is not what he's talking about. And there's a third kind of love. It's phile, phile love. Okay? Phile. And it's actually, we, we have cities named after. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. This word is used throughout the Bible. It's the friend, it's the friend bond. Most associated between people who have share common values or interests. It refers to a brotherly love, often exhibited in a close friendship. What's amazing is this is also not the kind of love that John's talking about here. So that love you feel toward a friend or a brother, it's the same friend love that you see between David and Jonathan. It's the friend love, you, you have something in common with this person, maybe it's football, maybe it's whatever. This is not the kind of love John's talking about. Then he gives the final one, and this is the one I want us to see. Agape. Agape is the word. So a, a, it looks like a grape, but it's not a grape. It's A-G-A-P-E. Agape. And it's unconditional. And this is God's love. So when we think about this, we need to, we need to remember something. And I'm going to give us a bunch of examples. When you ask somebody, are you a loving person? They would say, yep, absolutely. But when they're talking about love, they're not using this word. This word is used, I, I tried to look it up how many times this word is used in the scriptures. It is like hundreds, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. When it says that God so loved the world, he doesn't mean God, God had a feeling toward us. No. He unconditionally went after us. When the Bible speaks of the way we love our brothers and sisters, this is the only kind of love that's acceptable. So look at what, I love what John MacArthur said about it. He was very helpful here. He said that eros love, that first type of love that you have there, the romantic type, is essentially self-love because it cares for others only because of what it can get from them. It is the love that takes and never gives. Phile love is primarily reciprocal love, love that gives as long as it receives. But this is where he's helpful. But agape love is unqualified unselfish, love that willingly gives whether it receives or in return or not. It is unconquerable benevolence, invincible goodness, love that goes even to our enemies and prays for our persecutors. That is why the forbearance of which Paul speaks here about agape love, well, John speaks here about agape love, is so magnanimous. And all over the book of John, we see, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. What word is he using? He's not saying, if God so loved us in this lovey-dovey feeling. No. God acted. His love, was, his love was sure and steady. Where we see in chapter 4, God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. May it be said that this type of love cannot happen from an unbeliever. You know why this love cannot happen from an unbeliever? It's because they do not have the spirit of the living God in them. So for us as believers, when we start to see, do I have the spirit in me? Can I rest assured this type of love will be what is manifested? 
And I loved what another author said. He said, this kind of love does not, this kind of love may include emotion, but it's not always an action, but it's always an action. This is what he says. He says, agape does not mean a feeling in the heart, which we cannot help, which comes unbidden and unsought. It means a determination of the mind, whereby we achieve this unconquerable goodwill, even to those who hurt or injure us. He goes on, he says, agape, some, someone has said, is the power to love those who we do not like and who may not like us. Let me say that one more time because it's so applicable to us as a people. Agape, someone has said, is the power to love those who do not like, who we do not like or who may not like us. In, in point of fact, we, may, we can only have agape when Jesus Christ enables us to conquer our natural tendency to anger and to bitterness and to achieve this invincible goodwill to all men. Now let me give you some examples. So take a, take a man who's living with a woman outside of marriage. Okay? Their problem is fundamentally a lack of love. And you might be like, you talking about they love each other i do love her the man contradicts and he's right he's walking in the physical passion and perhaps even the real friendship so the eros and the phile which he feels for her while the biblical means that he lacks agape love for his girlfriend and for god since he is participating in sexual immorality with her let me give you another one. Here's a parent from a parent's perspective. A parent learns that biblically he has a lack of love for his children. And the parent maybe says, yeah, right, Daniel. You're kidding me. I don't have a lack of love for my children. I love my children, he asserts. He's right. He does love his children. And he loves them in a very natural. He's thinking of the parental affection that he has for that child. That, that third type or the second type of love. Though the parent still loves his child in a parental way, the Bible terms is natural affection. And he's lacking agape love. You want to know why? Because we see over and over and over and over again what agape love is like in the scriptures. And just take 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It doesn't boast. Let me give you another example. Maybe you've heard someone say, I, you know, I love my brothers and sisters at church. And he's correct. He's thinking of his family, and he's thinking of his friends. So he's thinking of the second love, and he's thinking of the third love. But he really can't stand anyone else. They all annoy him. They aggravate him. He really can't stand when they offend him. And he really has no interest in forgiving them. Friends, that is a problem with love. It's a problem with this fourth, unconditional, agape love. And brothers and sisters, this is my problem. This is your problem. This is all of our problems. It's our problems because our flesh, in and of itself, cannot have agape love. Okay, now we're going to look at... Now we've, now we've studied the four loves that we've seen in Greek. Now we're going to move on to the next part. The life of love. Maybe have some encouragement as we leave. The life of love. The life of love for John is a life of the new covenant believer. The life of love for John is the life of a person who has died with Christ, who's been buried with Christ, and was raised to, with his resurrection. 
The life of love for John is the life of a person who lives in agape love. You know, agape love, I love this. You don't have to like the people you agape love. You don't have to like them. You don't have to have like bubbly affections toward them. But what agape love does is it begins to regard the other person as precious. Let me ask you this. Think about people in, not just in our church, but also in your community, in your neighbors. Do we regard them, even as an attitudinal level, as precious? As precious. Because when we begin to regard them as precious, as beloved by God, you know what we'll begin to do? We'll begin to act. We'll begin to go, go for them. We'll begin to step into their world. But that's not who John brings up first. He gives us a warning first. And I really want us to heed this warning. He says in verse 9, he says, Whoever says he is in the light. We, as we saw over and over again, the light refers to God's presence. It refers to the goodness of, of God. Whoever says he's in the light, he's saying he's in God and hates his brother, is still in darkness. And what we see in the next point is the profession without love. It's profession. Profession of a... Someone who's in the darkness and does not have this agape love. We're not saying he's not loving. He may be loving in a, in a pleasurable sense. He may be loving toward his family. He may be loving toward his friends that he agrees with. But he's not loving in an unconditional sense toward his brothers. Again, we see the man who professes to be a follower of Jesus. He professes to know God. He professes to be walking in the light, but all the while hating his brother. For John, the person who hates his brother, cannot be walking in the light because darkness and light do not mix. Profession to be walking in the light without actually loving his brother is deception. I want to give us another warning. And the reason why I give this a warning, you might be like, well, okay, I do love my brothers, though. I maybe struggle to. But I want to give us a warning from Jesus himself. It's a warning to the church. And he says in the last days, in, in Matthew 24, I think it's one of the most shocking or maybe surprising things that he says in Matthew 24. He talks about wars and rumors of wars and all these different things. And this is what he says, just randomly put in there. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Let me say that again, because I, I feel this tendency. I feel this, this, this dragging of the world, and our enemies are not whoever we may think they are. They're the world, the flesh, and the devil. And you want to know what the world drags us to do? It actually drags us to not love one another. Listen to what he says. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love, the agape love of many will grow cold. Because people will be lovers of self, all the rest of the world. They'll be lovers of money, haters of God. There will be a temptation for believers to for their love to grow cold. Even the church of Ephesus, in the book of Revelation, Jesus comes to them and says, but I have this against you. Actually, what's ironic is most people actually say 1 John was written to the Ephesus. So if that's true, this, this what he's saying, Jesus is rebuking them, and Revelation 2 is actually talking to this church. This is what he says. He says, you've held up all the right teaching. You've kept all the right things. But listen to what he says. I have this against you. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. Jesus told his church how good it was that they didn't put up with false teaching. 
But he says they have a love problem. But listen to what John's comparison is in verse 10 of chapter 2, 1 John. He says, Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. And what we see is, for the, last, the second to last point, the, the, love, the love and light. And you could probably fill in the third one as well, is hatred and darkness. John says that the one who has agape love for his brother, the one who selflessly serves his brother, the one who is patient and kind with his brother. Just so we're clear, I'll keep reminding us, these things are not emotions necessarily. Because oftentimes we'll have a good disposition toward someone. We will feel certain ways toward them, but we we aren't actually doing any of these things. The one who does not envy or boast toward him. The one who's not arrogant or rude toward him. The one who does not insist on his own way. The one who is not irritable or resentful. Let me say that last one one more time. The one who is not irritable or resentful. That one, John, John says, abides in the light. Not perfectly. Let's be clear. He's already talked about this in First John. Not perfectly, but over time, growing in selfless love for their brother. So if you meet somebody on the street that's like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I, I walked an aisle ten years ago. And they say, well, have you been to church recently? And they say, no. Kind of hard to love the brethren when you haven't seen them in 10 years. So we can say that that person, their ultimate problem is a lack of love. It is in that person, John says, that the person who's walking in the light, who's loving his brethren, it's in that person that there's no cause for stumbling. This person does not cause his brother to stumble. Rather, he encourages him. He picks him up. He cares for him at his own expense. And then John gives one more warning before closing this short little section. He's, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And we see that last point. It's just hatred and darkness. Did you know and I'm sure you didn't know this, but I like knowing facts about creation and the world. But there are fish that live at the bottom of the sea. They live so deep down at the bottom of the sea that they dwell in utter darkness. And you know what? They're blind. They're blind fish. They're those weird fish that have like the huge teeth and they can't see anything. They have to have like a little thing out in front of them. They're on Nemo. If you've ever seen Nemo, they're one of the fish on Nemo that you can't see. They're blind. They live in such deep darknesses. That they're blind. And John's saying that's what this guy's like. And he's wandering about, feeling about, because he doesn't love. Because he lives in the darkness. He hates his brother. Let me give you one example just to close us out. And you can turn there with me. Luke Luke 10, 30 through 33. Jesus is challenged by another... one of the Sadducees or the Pharisees, one of the scribes, I believe it was. Uh, and he asks him, he's, I think he's a lawyer actually, and he says, who is my neighbor? Trying to get out of the loving God and loving others commandment. This is what Jesus responds to this man. He gives him a story. And Jesus replied and he says in, in Luke ten thirty, he says, a man was going down to, from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among rob- robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Okay, pause. So Jesus is giving this guy an example. The guy's asking, okay, who's my neighbor? Who's really my neighbor? 
And here's this guy. He gives an example of being beat up, left for dead alongside the road. You can just picture this. And now in the first century too, we need to remember, this wasn't like 21st century where like, oh, don't worry, an ambulance will come along. Nope. This guy is literally left for dead alongside of the road where the worst of the worst went in the gutter. And look in verse 31. Now what happens? Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed to the other side. So here comes a priest and he's like, oh, there's a guy half dead. What's he do? I don't want to get my don't want to get my cloak dirty. I have to, I have I have service today. So likewise, a, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and passed to the other side. Ah, I don't want to I don't want to get my Torah all bloody. I don't want to mess with that. But a Samaritan, and just so we're clear, Samaritans hated Jews. They hated one another. As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And what Jesus is saying, and what John, I think John's even picking up on this idea. He's saying that the one, you want to love your brother, this is what it looks like. The first two guys, they didn't love his, their brother. They didn't love this guy at all. The one who is most likely, unlikely of the individuals, the one who was culturally opposed to the Jews, was the one who stopped. He was the one who actually loved his neighbor. And friends, the Samaritan is the one who we look at and we see agape love. The priest and the Levites, the ones who should have been filled with love, they were blind. Blind and wandering about. But that is not the case for the Christian. We are those who have been born of God. We are those who have died with Christ and who are called to live with him. We are those who dwell in light and not in darkness. And if that is the case, it is seen in our love for the brothers. It's not first and forth an emotion. It's not first and forth, foremost an emotion. I love what James, just to close this out with some application. James Montgomery Boyce, he says this. He says, what is love after all? Is it not just a certain benign feeling? Is it not a smile? Is it not an attitude that determines what one does? Therefore, it is impossible to speak of love in the Christian sense without at least suggesting some of the actions which ought to flow from it. Basically, what he's saying is that love is not a feeling. Love, love in the biblical sense is an action, is an attitude of preciousness that draws us to action. We may feel, we may feel pretty crappy most days. We may not feel like we love our brothers. But when we regard them with a preciousness and with an attitude of loveliness, we will go after them. Let me give you just four just closing applications for us. So the one man who's walking in the darkness, who hated his brother, he's walking in darkness, he's blind. So here's the first one. It's for us to open our eyes to the needs around us. Open our eyes to the needs around us. The second is to open our ears to the needs of others. And oftentimes we just want to like run and like throw money or do whatever we else want to do. But, but oftentimes what people need is just a friend. Just to sit and listen. Here's another. Open our hands to be willing to step into others' worlds. And all of this, just so we're clear, agape love doesn't concern ourselves with, what if they, what if they think I'm, I'm rude? No. Agape love says, I love you. 
and I'm here for you. And the fourth one is this. Open our mouths to speak the truth in love to our brothers and sisters. You notice the Bible never pits love and truth against one another. It never says, well, well, these people, they're the truth people, and these people over here, they're the love people. It says, no, we speak the truth in love. Okay, with that, I want us to close, but I, I want us to just consider today what the Lord is impressing upon you. Maybe an area um, that you haven't been loving. Maybe an area that you have been walking in the darkness. And the hope of the gospel and the hope that John has set forth for us is very simple. That when we see, as a Christian, when we see areas of sin in our life, we don't say, oh, I failed again. Oh, man, we don't turn into Eeyore. We don't get the Eeyore syndrome. You know what we say? We come back to our Heavenly Father, and we repent. Praise be to God. And we do what First John says, and we confess our sins, knowing that he's faithful and just to forgive us. So just take a minute and reflect upon um, what we've heard from First John. I'll just give you just a second to do that.